Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. JD Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For JD Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com/awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee, and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all. Jewelry that makes you feel like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things you love are checked by experts, and not just any experts, specialized experts. Real people who love this stuff with real, hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue checkmark that says authenticity guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. You know that's the sound of another sale on your online Shopify store. But did you know Shopify powers selling in person too? That's right. Shopify is the sound of selling everywhere. Online, in-store, on social media, and beyond. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash BOF, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash BOF to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash BOF. Is it escapism or engagement that's going to be more important for the immediate future of fashion? There's a part of me that does want to do something that is sort of celebratory, but you know, something that feels kind of humble and it's maybe not pushing product as an agenda, but more about an idea. I mean, I feel like it's gonna like really break people down to what the core essence of their brands are. Do you have a contingency for communicating that fairy tale, as it were, without the actual physical element of a fashion show? This whole idea of doing like these big gargantuan shows straight after this, I'm not sure if that's going to feel valid anymore. Hi, this is Imran Ahmed, founder and CEO of The Business of Fashion, and welcome to another special edition of the BOF podcast. Today, we have something more creative on the boil. Our editor-at-large, Tim Blanks, recently sat down with Charles Jeffrey for a Zoom chat on all things creativity and how the current conditions of the coronavirus pandemic are influencing and impacting this highly creative designer's work. Here's Tim Blanks and Charles Jeffrey, Inside Fashion. 
we are uh, in mid-lockdown or major lockdown. We don't know if it's mid-lockdown. We don't know really where this is all going to go. So, Charles, where are you and um, what are you doing? Um, I'm currently in my partner's apartment. Um, I've actually moved into his place because he has um, more space. Um, so basically, I'm in Hackney Downs, like just a stone's throw away from the station. So I've sort of accommodated his living room and we've got like a work a workspace that we both sort of share because he um, uh, does fashion as well. So he's sort of like making corsets in the background. How is your day different now? Um... I guess it's 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 a lot more routined actually. Um, I guess because I have to kind of like use that routine for my own sanity. So I kind of start my day a lot earlier than I used to. I get up at like half six now, and then I try and do some sort of exercise in the morning, whether that's running or doing some MetaFit class. That's like an online thing that you can do, which is very interesting. Um, no, but yeah, it's, it's, it's very much more routined and, you know, it's, just, it's a 10 till 6 day um, and it's very much, you know, a lot of communications back and forth with my team, um, Zoom calls like this one. Um, I know it, just, it feels kind of normal. I feel like I've really normalized it straight away. It's weird. So how many people in your team are you in constant touch with? Um, so we're now, including myself, we're a team of four. Wait, one, two, three, four no five um and we'll do meetings with me and my core team so Naomi and Sam um and then I'll have meetings with my designer um Daniel my training designer and um then we'll do meetings with all of us which include my other um colleague Chris who heads up sourcing with fabrics and assists Naomi in production so we'll do them in kind of uh you know different kind of setups and what are you actually working on all together well, it was a show. Uh, it was a collection. Um, we still are kind of working towards that, but the sort of drops for it have sort of like staggered now. So obviously um, the June shows have been cancelled um, and there's talk of something happening in September. Um, so we've kind of got this thing called like an emergency collection, which is a very much more reduced um, collection of around 50 pieces. Um, which is around half of what we usually do. And uh, we're just working towards that. They're just like, you know, um, pieces that the buyers really trust or things that we know are, um, have got good turnaround and good turnover, not turnover, good um, uh, margins, sorry. Um, so yeah, we're just working towards that. But it's, a, it's again, weird. I mean, I'm still doing the same amount of work, but it's just, um, it's just not as intense, if that makes sense. It's not like to a time scale. It sounds like it's more pragmatic, though, in a way. That, mm. that what, what do you anticipate on the other side of this? That you will need to have, you'll need to have sort of signature pieces that people feel comfortable with, that people are familiar with? Do you think familiarity is going to be an important thing rather than, you know, the, the shock of the new that, that you kind of specialize in the rest, of the, the rest of the time? Yeah, I think that's the thing I've been sort of toying between is like, what, like you know, what feels right? Because obviously, you know, you always think well, people want to sort of dream and escape and feel sort of, um, you know, inspired by things in times of crisis. But then at the same time, you, you have this kind of like weird moral feeling where you're like, oh, I don't want to become too sort of chauvinistic or, or um, sort of um, bombastic in times like this. So it's like the idea of something being familiar. I mean, even things like posting things online about sales or like oh we've got this new collection it's sort of this weird double thinking that you have to have it's like do people want to see that do people want to buy things I don't know it's really weird weird time well this does it, it you know this is i think this is going to be the question that 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 um that people one of the questions that people have to cope with is uh and, and i find myself talking quite a lot about it with, with people is is do you is it escapism or engagement that's mm -hmm. going to be more important for uh, the immediate future of fashion mm -hmm. um, when when this is over. But bearing in mind that there's a lot of um, there's going to be a lot of attrition. I think that it's it's, just, it's going to be very very it's going to be very very hard for a lot of people to come back from this. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the brutal reality. Mm -hmm. um, what's your what's your feeling about that? Well, I, I think that in this time, it's very much about sort of like connecting with 
the the customer or the the, the follower or the you know the, the fan um of the work that you're doing and just being authentic to them and I, I think being very personal like I think beforehand I was very much about sort of building the brand and it being like sort of lover boy and trying to put that into more of a kind of global context so it's not so individual so that there's more scope for people to sort of engage with it but now it sort of feels the complete opposite like I feel more in inclined to put myself on the forefront and be like this is me I'm Charles Jeffrey and this is my brand lover boy and like this is me and this is what I'm about and I'm here and you know I want to get to know you you and I guess put myself out there in that way and I think that there's something you know really important about that uh I feel like it's that thing of people liking sort of individual pieces or something that's been hand touched you know sort of felt by the designer and I don't know this it's I think something I'm feeling a lot more personal is what's going to happen in the future so intimate then intimacy yeah for sure I mean, there's an irony in the fact that the collection that you were in the middle of shipping was your collection where you actually really did reach out to the world and were, really were consciously thinking of broadening your your frame of reference mm -hmm. so that, it, that you, could, you were speaking to, you felt you had a, a very clear customer, say, that you had acquired through Matches Fashion that you were talking to, as well as having the cultists. Mm -hmm. And this was this was going to be your your address to the world and ironically of course it's all been kind of brought right into a, mm -hmm. into a kind of reduced to a sort of essence mm -hmm. yeah i mean it's, thinking about how we were sort of um distributing the collection when after the sales season like looking at all of the different pieces there was a, a really large range of people buying from all those different sort of camps you know there was the there was that matches customer who's buying just you know the, the beautifully cut kilt dresses and then there was a customer you know, the Dover Street customer who was buying, you know, all of the embroidery, crazy puffer pieces and the colorful pieces. And, you know, I think that it, it's now we're talking about, you know, releasing the collection and all the focus is now doing it on our e-commerce. So that it's our own personal platform. And again, that, that I think it goes back to the idea of being a bit more intimate, like we can control how that those garments are shot and how they're presented. And, you know, I think it's it's whether it's going to be in line with the show or has a different treatment to it on the website. It's, you know, I, whether we, we shoot it in a more sort of open-minded way. I don't know. It's, it's an interesting, it's interesting now that it's changed to that. I mean, in an ideal world, what would you want people to, what would you hope people wanted from you when um, we get to the other side? I mean, I hope people want a party. <laughs> I hope people want to have some fun. I, I, I think a lot of people are feeling the sort of itch now, like they're, they're sort of, they want, I mean, I know that a lot of people are wanting to go dancing. I know a lot of people are wanting to sort of like mingle and be around people. And I don't know, I mean, obviously it would be interesting to do a show that's sort of reflective on my own personal experience and what that, those metaphors could be drawn from visually in the show. You know, whether I do something sort of dark or, or sort of, you know, um, reflective or whether it's something that is you know is a shining light through it all i don't know it's it's something i guess i'll sort of catch on to closer to the time but then it's also something that i'm overthinking all the time as well i don't know sometimes i just want to put it, put it to rest and give it in for another couple of months and then just like ignite it when it's ready so it has a bit more of a sort of standing to it i mean i think it's it's so interesting for you because your last show well all your shows but you know, the last show, what I saw in that show was the, the, this dialogue between the very ancient, there was, um, there was Simon Costin's very spooky old druidic tree hanging at the end, uh, looming at the end of the catwalk, decorated with CDs. With CDs. <laughs> um, and then there was that whole dance element in the show that got progressively more and more intense. And I felt it ended in complete despair. Mm -hmm. I, felt it, I felt it was like a dance of death. And again, in this, in this multitude of ironies that we're confronting with this crisis, um, that was kind of ironic that, that you, you, you see, you, you've always been able to see a darkness in, in there's always been a darkness in what you do. Mm -hmm. There's always been, been this, this kind of sense of ritual and um, like pagan ritual mm -hmm. and um, 
and then for and and then also this relationship with nature that you've explored um, through through all the elements of the collection, not just the clothing, the hair, the makeup, but the set, and you you have a dance element, and, mm -hmm. and it's always been very very strong. And right now we're in a situation where we're confronting the implacability of nature, that actually we are very puny mm -hmm. in, in the face of nature's implacable might. Mm -hmm. um, do you feel, I'm curious to, as to whether you feel, whether you, there's anything in you that feels that, anything in you that feels this was inevitable, that this was, you, 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 you talked about the road that the world was on. You mm -hmm. talked about, um, you, you made some very dramatic statements about, um, you know, the inherit young people inheriting a, a, a broken world from, mm -hmm. from previous generations. I wonder how you, what, what your take on, on this is right now, if you, if you, if you have a sort of concept, conceptual view of it. Well, I was thinking about that um, earlier and, you know, just the, the sort of thinking that I had before the, before we were even designing the collection. Like Hell Mend You, the, the show itself was like a, it was a sort of sacrifice. It was a vision of a future. We sacrificed somebody to this tree, um, you know, in reference to these sort of pagan rituals. Um, but, and I was also really inspired by this film that was called Arcadia uh, by Paul Wright, uh, which was sort of this archival footage, which sort of showed the journey between, you know, um, the beauty and brutality of, man's relationship with nature. It was all this kind of archival footage of, you know, farmers and druids and, um, you know, people practicing all of these sort of sacrifices and, well, not sacrifices, sort of um, weird sort of joyous dances and magic, practicing magic. And, um, you know, it really got me to thinking, you know, there's this weird sort of energy right now, people sort of like confronting each other about, well, you know, you're not looking after the planet enough or you're not looking after the planet enough. And no one's really kind of, trying to do or, or go back to some of these old ancient ways. And I thought, well, maybe it's about kind of looking back and, you know, um, I don't know, it was kind of eerie as well. I was thinking we, we, we launched our e-com on Valentine's Day and loverboy.net. And we kind of designed this website that was very in line with my drawings and all of my kind of little creatures that I designed and the way that it kind of looks, it almost looks a bit viral. Like it looks like when you're scrolling up, it's all these kind of like things sort of attacking the the sort of format of the website and I thought that was kind of eerie I was like god that looks a little bit like you know all of the sort of illustrations that you're seeing on Sky News like how it's spreading and all of that and I was like well, this am I like some sort of weirdly like am I predicting the future or something I don't know but um but I was thinking about this idea of like Gaia and how coronavirus is almost like this sort of like silent whisper from her like it's like a little whisper of what could happen tell us who Gaia is Gaia is like, you know, the sort of um, maternal metaphor for the world, for Earth, like Mother Gaia. I don't necessarily know the, the complete history of where she came from. I think it's it Aztec or... Yeah, James Lovelock's theory that the Earth, the entire planet is a living organism. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, it, does, it does feel valid as an idea. You know, it's just like a subtle whisper. And yet, you know, when you hear about things like all of these sort of pandemics in history... And when you're watching a sort of like two minute clip on it on like Watch Mojo or something, um, you know, it's talking about all the different pandemics. You're like, oh, that's that was shit that that happened. But then there's something else moves on. Oh, that shit, that was shit that, that happened. But, you know, you sort of compartmentalize it to like those two minutes in which it's described. And like, I feel like coronavirus to a certain extent, you know, 50 years from now is going to be compartmentalized to like one minute. And it's like, you know, for me, it's like almost going to be, it's like it's going to be remembered as a sort of like prompt from Gaia to be like, right you're not doing enough. I'm just going to like launch this. I, know, I mean, I know that the, the gravitas of it is incredibly huge, um, but it does feel like this sort of subtle reminder for us to all sort of reset and to look at ourselves and to sort of like be a bit more mindful, I think. I think it's because absolutely nobody has been through this. I mean, maybe the man who turned 112 the other day mm -hmm. At a memory of the of the Spanish flu in 1918, but this is unprecedented. People keep saying, using the word unprecedented, and it, it really is. It's it, it it fascinates me that it unites, you know, unites my 91 year old mother, my eight year old nephew, mm -hmm. and me. You know, we are in the same boat with this. Mm -hmm. And so you're right. 50 years, 
you have a historical perspective on this. Um, you know, you can go back through history and look at pandemics and the Renaissance came out of the Black Death. Mm -hmm. um, but, but it was a hideous transformation. Yeah, the boils and everything. To need such a catastrophe to create this cultural rebirth. Mm -hmm. um, where does fashion fit into that? Oh, I think it, it's, it's, it's definitely, the, the thing with coronavirus is it's bringing us all together, right? So it's making us, you know, feel in line with everybody else. And it's, it's sort of, it's, I don't know, I think it might bring this sort of hierarchy down a little bit and make everybody sort of view everybody in the same light. Because then you know, this whole idea of doing like these big, you know, gargantuan shows um, straight after this, I'm not sure if that's going to feel valid anymore. And I'm, I would be really curious to see, like, you know, designers who have been known to do these like huge big shows, you know, how they all, you know, if they're going to be a lot more humbler or what they're going to be saying alongside, you know, smaller designers like myself. Um, I mean, I know I do like big shows and there's a part of me that does want to do something that is sort of celebratory, but, you know, something that feels kind of humble and is maybe not pushing, you know, product as an agenda, but more about an idea. I mean, I feel like it's going to like really break people down to what the core essence of their brands are. You know, what do they have to say other than the product? You know, is there something else that they have to say that's more about content or more about, you know, um, morals or art or you know what is the kind of core elements of everybody i think it's almost like it's um sort of like burning down all of the sort of it's like the burning the coronavirus is almost like burning down the ozone layer of everyone's of every brand's planet and getting them right to the core if that makes sense well you know it, it's the, there is a sort of giantism of fashion and i and i am curious to see what happens what 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 people's sense of the appropriate is in in the light of this and then there's also, you know, somebody like you who's who's always emphasized community, mm -hmm. um, that, that your your shows are a community project in a way. Um, you talked a lot with at the uh, after the last show about local couture mm -hmm. and the, the idea of everything being made locally, you know, or within a reasonable amount of travel. Mm -hmm. Uh, as opposed to these syndrome that's developed in fashion where uh, brands chase the cheapest price, you know, and they'll, they'll do something here and something there and something else there all over the world to save 25 cents. Mm -hmm. um, the, the, idea of, the idea of localization to me makes so much sense because I don't know when, when we were talking about this earlier and I, I, I called it villaging mm -hmm. and I don't know whether that's a word that I've read somewhere, but, but the, it's something that feels quite um, uh, rational to me that, that you have a dressmaker, a tailor and a cobbler in your village, like people used to. Mm -hmm. And I, I guess it's kind of, it's kind of a fairy tale thing in a way, but is it conceivable that something like that might, it might come out of this crisis? Well, I think, you know, physically everybody is kind of retreating back to their own homes, whether those homes are, you know, their family homes where they grew up or, you know, to their own sort of spaces. And, you know, in some ways, I mean, I'm thinking a lot about Matty Bovan and his process and how he works in his little village in York, in York and is able to produce all of these fantastic outfits um, that are just, you know, you wouldn't think would be a product of that sort of small town or, you know, um, I was also thinking, you know, it, that sort of idea of, of villaging and localization came from the Royal Academy talks that we did. And uh, I can't remember the name of the designer that was after us. Um, he was a streetwear designer and he was talking about, you know, people buying different products from different parts of London. Like you would go. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and that was getting me thinking about, like, you know, people like Matty and, you know, um, people in Scotland as well and all of the sort of industry that's there that's, you know, being bought up by one or two huge companies just to use themselves. And, you know, it's, it's a shame because I, when I first started working, I was using a lot of Scottish mills to make a lot of my stuff, like my tartan and my knitwear. And, you know, as we progressed as a brand, we did have to shift there because they weren't able to fulfill our orders, not because of the quality or the, the ability to make them, but it was just the, the sheer size of how we were growing. And I would love to, you know, be able to have all of my products made in Scotland and built there and, you know, work with shoe companies there and things. And I'm hoping that 
you know, maybe with this happening, everyone does have to stay close and have to stay local and have to go back to kind of like engaging with local communities. I mean, even think about like the local shop, like these are heroes of ours right now. And people are not necessarily yeah. relying yeah. on the supermarkets, they're relying on the small shops. And yeah, you know, now I read in the newspaper this morning, um, use shops you can walk to. Yeah. You know, so people aren't driving, you know, you just make sure it's your local shops that, mm-hmm. that you're relying on mm-hmm. during this. But the, the, the idea of, um, of using local artisans, I mean, that is something that has been, that has been coming forward in fashion, the artisanal, the craft, which people have been talking about for mm-hmm. a few years now. Uh, I think maybe um, I, I, when I was talking to Sam McKnight the other day, I did keep talking about going back. And he said, I don't like the idea of going back. So we have to talk about going forward and using this, this kind of villaging or localizing idea as the future mm-hmm. and not, not, not the idea of it being a return, mm-hmm. but, but actually a, a, a way forward. Um, you know, I, what I like about that is it it really um, dovetails with the human need for a narrative and the, and people love stories and it's what you've always done you've you've created such complex narratives with your shows mm-hmm. there's always this whole other thing that that animates the show how important do you see that being going forward I, I think it has to continue. I think it's. I think it would be vital for people to continue storytelling or to to use that as a narrative. I think there's this sort of element of being more personal that comes from you know coming up with your own stories and using them as a sort of tool for your own process. I mean, obviously, lots of people have different processes for achieving fashion. Um, I feel like there's a, a real focus right now on cultural capital and how much references you know and how can you subvert that and show the symbolism from all of that and bring that together? What does that mean? What's that mean? Explain that. That sounds really interesting. What cultural capital? Yeah, but the 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 the, the, the reference, the, how many references you use, kind of. You mean that that gives a richness to what you do? Well, I think I think that well, not for me personally. I think I always struggle. You do love a library. Do. I do love a library. Yeah, yeah. I think, but you do get that sort of feeling um, of God. Do, do, is this some sort of referenced enough or does this kind of have enough subversion to it or am I referencing the right sort of movement here or something but then I remember saying that before to tutors um and uh especially Louise and she was like it's not about that it's about the core of who you are and how you bring that forward because we all will remember references and relate to them in different ways and so the the job of the artist and the designer is just to put something in front of you and you know it's for you to sort of interpret and I guess in some ways, like I do get a bit nervous about explaining my work. Like the scariest thing I find is at the very end of the runway to sort of talk. I mean, thank God for your friendly face. Otherwise I'd be like, <laughs> you know, I'd be terrified. But it is my that. Moon face. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's like, I, I do get scared sometimes. I'm like, am I saying the right thing? Am I being as authentic as I'm supposed to be? But then it's like, I sometimes you just got to let it happen and just like say what you've got to say. And it's that person's, you know, it's how the person sort of interprets it. But the idea of cultural capital, you know, I think that there's such, uh, there was a, there is a big focus of that at the moment in fashion, whereas that idea of storytelling and actually fully bringing forth this kind of narrative and using that as a driving force. I don't know, it's, it, it definitely still exists, but I wonder if that will be more of a sort of driving force, something that feels a bit more fairy tale or um, magical, I don't know. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. 
But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Have you ever owned something that inspired you to up your game? For me, I got a chef-grade range recently, and now I'm cooking new things every single night. Seriously, no cuisine is off-limits. The point is, when we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. I can picture myself with a car full of groceries, cruising down the highway, soaking up the sun with the available dynamic sky panorama glass roof. Ah, pure bliss. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX. Luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay authenticity guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you feel like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things you love are checked by experts. And not just any experts, specialized experts. Real people who love this stuff with real hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue check mark that says authenticity guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. How, how does this exist without something like a fashion show, do you think? How... how are you sort of making, you, you said you were planning a show, but mm-hmm. how do you, um, do you have a contingency for communicating all of that, communicating that fairy tale, as it were, mm-hmm. without the actual physical element of a fashion show? Yeah, I mean, one of the, the benefits, I think, of, you know, having a brand like Loverboy is just the, the, the sort of history of the content that we put out there. We were never just known for just doing fashion shows. We always did like little films or even when it was like the club night, it wasn't just like an event page on Facebook. We did like an editorial, we did like a film, we did a set, we had like performances in the, the club and like, you know, so it was always lots of different things that I sort of drew my attention to, to market the brand that was Loverboy. Um, and you know, that still carries on when we're doing shows. I mean, it's got a lot more sort of professional. So we have like a professional filmer and then, you know, we'll have like content that goes out, but we've always done lots of other little bits and worked with other artists to make content that doesn't even relate to the clothing. Like I love working with this artist called Jenkin Banzil. He's one of my good friends that I've known for ages. And, you know, I don't even really set him a brief. I just say, can you make me a film? And he just does something and it's... Love his work. Yeah, he's, it's just absolutely fantastic. And I I think that I'm quite looking forward to... I mean, the thing is, when I was saying I've normalised this whole process is because I'm not very... And this, I don't want to dismiss the, the, the fear and everything that's going on and, and, and how the gravitas of what's going on, but I do feel slightly content in the ability to be able to have a bit more time to think and a bit more time to just make something that isn't like a show and sales orientated and you know and uh, you know we've got to hit this mark and we've got to get this at this price and we've got to get this it's like no I can actually just do you know I could make a film I could work with Jenkins to do something I could work with you know um, Gary and do some illustrations together and just have that part of of the content of the brand and it's kind of slow fashion in a way as well that you know it's not bang immediate has to be out you know has to be up up on the internet in 15 seconds there's mm-hmm. a sort of effective aesthetic mm-hmm. element to this that i find really i mean i find i find appealing i can mm-hmm. see that something as sort of that would be part of a reset mm-hmm. i was i was saying to my um my colleague sam yesterday so we were having a conversation about this call and i was saying to him i was like you know i feel i almost feel like like i'm 17 again 
like I feel like I'm in my mum's house in my bedroom I'm waking up at you know and same the same sort of time I'm making three like meals for myself or like feeling like I'm making I'm eating meals that my mum made because I've learned how, how to cook for my mum you know making substantial meals you know it reminds me when I was 17 because I used to go exit like when I started exercising like trying to go for runs around Cumbernauld and Scotland and just doing that and then kind of you know dreaming and thinking and you know making doing all this makeup on myself and taking pictures of myself for my mind it's like I'm doing it for my MySpace page but there's something in going back to that headspace which feels really healing and it's like that idea of resetting and going back to a stage where I was so hopeful of the future not saying I'm not hopeful of the future I'm so grateful to be where I am in my career and my 17 year old self would be like mind blown by where I'm at now not to sound arrogant but you know um say it but yeah call a spade a spade I've done well for myself and, and yeah. I've done everything yeah. that I wanted to do when I was 17 but sometimes I think oh I wonder what it would be like to be back in that space again and just that it was just that innocent dreaming of things and you know exploring fa I mean I was watching all the old McQueen shows on the telly with my boyfriend the other night and we were just getting so excited by it all and just being like it reminds me of like when I used to watch with my mum and be like I'm going to St. George's Martins mum I'm gonna do this and she would be crying like oh that's not all this kind of stuff but you know I'm, I'm, my boyfriend's younger than me you know he's up he's just he's I'm start, studying to be a designer and it's like feeling like we're watching this thing again and getting excited about fashion shows like watching all the Gesquier shows for Balenciaga and you know the the the, 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 the our favorite John shows and just then dressing up and taking pictures of ourselves. I mean, I know it's a bit sort of um, what's the word? Well, I don't know. It's not childish. I don't know. I, I I hardly hardly. It's just it's it's paying the credit to things that deserve as much credit as you could possibly give. Really, it's 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 honoring it's honoring some of the the most inspiring impulses that fashion has and has had over the last. 20 or 30 years. Mm -hmm. I was wanting to talk about this idea. So I know we've spoke about it before, but you know, the, the, the sort of localized couture and um, I just was, I was thinking a lot about students um, just through the, I do teach from time to time. Um, and a lot of my good friends um, are actually, were supposed to be graduating um, this year um, at Central St. Martins. And you know, it was a year where a lot of those kids used to come to Loverboy and now they were graduating. So I felt like, oh my God, I'm getting old. But they, um, you know, it's, I was thinking about the fact that they don't have that sort of a benchmark that they have to achieve now with that idea of like, I need to get into the press show. I need to succeed. I need to succeed. I need to do the show for the press show and I need to get myself out there. It's like, no, because that's been taken away from them now, which is horrible. But at the same time, I'm like, I wonder if this is going to make them think about what, they actually want from fashion or what they actually want to do with themselves instead of just being like the next big thing like the next j-dubs or the next craig or the next phoebe you know like what do they want to just be really great at like denim or do they want to be really great at um you know draping or do they want to be really great at sort of research or something else that's not just this idea of being the next best thing that is put on this press show pedestal and, you know, I was thinking about that idea. You're thinking about the fact that there aren't going to be degree shows. Yeah. This, this, this year, yeah. But maybe it's going back to skill, because I think that there's this, I don't know, like, you know, prod a lot of these institutions, but, you know, this idea of skill is lost in education. You don't come out of education with a skill per se. Like, you know, people that aren't, really, you know, some, some people are self-taught, and that's the whole point of university. But, like, this idea of, like, apprenticeships and learning things, you know, I really pride my studio because I've got a really amazing studio manager called Naomi who, and we work really closely together to make sure that our interns, we, so I like to see them as like an apprenticeship, but they learn skills, they learn pattern cutting, they learn, you know, sewing and they, they contribute to the, the show pieces. A lot of the show pieces that you see in the, the collection are, you know, are projects that I set the interns. And, you know, this whole idea of internships now has completely changed, but I still wanted my interns to have a, to contribute to the whatever we make when so they've got this thing which i sent you pictures of you sort of had a little sneak peek of these hope suits they're all embroidered um and they've all got their own little packets so, so i sent out these packets with like 
loads of little drawings and stuff and then they've all got their fabrics and you know i've got little uh, whatsapp group that i'm checking in with them being like how are you guys cracking on you know because they'll, they'll hopefully come away from it when we come back with all these like bits of embroidery that they've all contributed to them you know in their own way to and we'll fashion those into something but that's a bit like that you know the after world war one you know in in, in that state of in incredible despair that Europe was in that Dada came out of. Mm-hmm. And they, remember they used to have that exquisite, the Dada artists used to have that game called Exquisite Corpse, oh, where they'd each, they'd each do a, a bit of a drawing uh-huh. and fold it over, and then they'd send it on to the next person in the chain, and they'd do a bit of, and they'd, they'd have two little lines, and they'd draw their bit of the drawing, they'd fold it over, send it to the next artist, who'd do the little, and at the end when they unfolded it and say, I don't know how many people had contributed to it, there'd be this, you know, big, not well, some of them were big, some of them were small, but work of art made by all the top Dada artists. Oh, I fucking love that. Little, oh, I love that. Kind of like a hope suit that everybody makes a little bit of it and then it's all put together and it becomes something else. Yeah. But the game is called Exquisite Corpse. I wrote that um, down. Part yeah, of my... it's good. It's, it's a really, and when you actually see them, and when you, when you ever see them in an exhibition, or something, they, they do look like, you know, like if you had six friends and you, you all said you each draw a bit, fold it down, give it to your next, they draw a bit and then fold it on, you know, pass it on. Mm. It does look a bit like that. It might be a skull at the top and high heels at the bottom or something, but oh, um, it's, it's good. It's, a, it's, an interesting, it's an interesting collaborative, the, the randomness of collaboration. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I'm really excited to see. I mean, the, 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 the only trouble is like some of these packages haven't even arrived because of the post um, being um, a lot smaller the postal service but you know we've still been checking in i've been sending them like all like pictures of each piece and um there's different stitches that they're gonna um you know use to execute it but you know i'm so i'm again like this idea of like um sort of localized couture or like you know this idea of like how does one share knowledge or become really skilled at something on their own you know instead of having this sort of blanket way of making clothing that's like all of these this one way of doing it I'd be really interested to see, you know, if people reinvent ways of making clothing that isn't necessarily like digitally focused, like, oh, it's all about 3D printing. It's no, it's like, this is the Bradley Sharp method, which is like, you know, um, super glued and like stapled and then melted and then stitched or something. You know, this is so interesting because you, you talk, you've talked about punk, mm-hmm. a, a, sort of, a, a spirit of new punk and tried, you know, in the, that show at the British Library, you had the punk soundtrack and there was that sort of element there. Um, also, the idea of rebellion um, is very, has been very important in your work, rebellion against the status quo. But this is something that would be good to see as well. You know, punk was such a crucible of creativity. It inspired so many kids in so many different ways. The whole idea of DIY, mm-hmm. just spinning it off in so many music, in music and fashion and art. It spun off in so many different ways. And I'm kind of waiting for that. I've been waiting for that now as a reaction to what's been happening politically and economically and socially in the world, but sort of wondering whether this Mm. crisis might be the catalyst Mm -hmm. for that kind of, you know, so like you're talking about designer, all these young designers in the fashion colleges who aren't going to get their um, graduate shows because of what's what's happening. you know that this is a. Do you imagine this this inspiring a change in consciousness, sensibility? You know, like the whole notion of a new punk spirit mm-hmm. might might come out of this. Um, sort of mm-hmm. I just wonder where, where how they're going to be able to to share. I mean, I know everyone's got Instagram, but like I I would I that for me already feels reductive in a way to showcase themselves, and I would prefer if things became more sort of live, like I, I'd love it if I just <laughs> gazed out my window and there was a collection just ridden on bikes, just tran- going through London. And then there's like a thing like, oh, keep your eye out. Like, you know, there's something of like at eight o'clock when everyone claps for the NHS. Yeah. Like, I it was amazing that. last night. I love and that. I love that so I much. Yeah. I had a huge tear just running down my face last night because... You see all the kids in the windows, all the banging little kids. The, banging the pots and things, yeah. Oh, yeah. There's, there's something in that idea of just everything being, like it's that, that sort of human contact, even though we're from all further away, that's, that's always going to inspire empathy and make people feel something. And I wonder, instead of having everything digitally focused, maybe there is some way of doing something 
physical or from afar or there is something that's not necessarily about I don't know maybe it's I don't know, I've got this idea of like people on bikes and then you're looking out your window and you see them all riding past it's like the marathon I mean I know that's to do with contact but I'm just thinking of using these as things that you can maybe break down but I ran the marathon last year and it was the most amazing experience of my whole entire life because it was so human and everybody for those whole 26.3 27.3 miles it was just constant cheer because everyone was doing it for charity people were doing it for charity or it was just a big thing and there was some I've never I never did sports I never competed in sports and there was something really human about that and I really understood why people play sports <laughs> there was something about that but I don't know where I'm going with this but um I know I remember when you were talking about that and and, and you know when people first discover exercise and they get a bit messianic about it Mm. And especially for somebody like me who, who you know, heaving my bulk from this chair to the chair next to me is <laughs> a sort of physical effort. No, I'm kidding. I'm not that bad. But, you know, it was, it was, it was really um, wonderful listening to you when you were talking about that because it also had such an impact on what you did. It mm-hmm. actually changed your creative process. Mm-hmm. And that was, that was kind of fascinating. I'm, I am thinking about something here because we do have to finish. Um, oh, is um I know we were just I was, I know, get, I was really enjoying us getting comfortable. <laughs> I, I you know when we when we were talking about the role the role of fashion and then um, also this idea of community that that's been so important for you and I was just thinking about the design the designers who I love you know whose work I follow um, and who bring in other elements um, other they bring in elements of of you know with a craft they like architecture, home design, or, or opera, or movies, or, or um, arcane thought. I wanted, before we finish, I do, you do have to tell me about Beltane. Oh, yeah. Uh, and then I was thinking about this sort of shamanic aspect of fashion, that right now, if, if I think about you and Craig Green and Jonathan Anderson and Rick Owens, um, people who, you know, who make a tribe, around themselves mm-hmm. and it kind of ties in with the idea of villaging that that it, this sort of new fashion feudalism mm-hmm. um it's very ideal and maybe even naive but it is a very appealing um cinematic idea mm-hmm. and i know that you you felt you felt the cinematic quality of your last collection and, and it, how, how do you if, if i say that to you do you think, oh God, that's just so much bull's wool? You know, he's talking through a hole in his head. No, no. I'm, I, I mean, I, I think I was when you mentioned Craig. I was just thinking about his debut in Paris, um, which I was honoured enough to see. And you know, walking into that space felt so much like walking into some sort of like church or some sort of like spiritual place. And when those pieces came out, it was just. I was so blown away by it. I was like, I could even get emotional, like thinking about it. And just that th- thinking about how powerful just that one moment can be given from a design that you, you know, you, obviously I follow Craig's work and I know, you know, I know a lot about it through reading all of the influences that he brings forth, but there's something that's just so personal about a fashion show that you can have. And, you know, it's this idea of like faith or something, you're going to something to sort of practice your faith towards it. And I don't know, like when I do my shows, like it's a different energy because I'm sort of putting it out there and there's all these things I have to think about, but I'd love to sort of like maybe kind of step into your brain or something to see how you feel it or to feel how you feel something like that. And I don't know. I think how, I think how complete it is, is mm. really overwhelming how complete when you walk out of your show when you walk out of Craig's when you walk out of Rick's when you walk out of Jonathan's the vision is so complete and it also isn't necessarily woven in with anything that's happening anywhere else no. it's complete it, it's got this sort of the, the power of idiosyncrasy you know the the original vision just the, so strong mm-hmm. and and that's I guess that's why I see that surviving more than something which is completely wired into, you know, the mainstream. Yeah. You know, these things, these things that can step out that are already outside the mainstream that exist in their own, they've created a universe and mm-hmm. they exist in their own universe. Mm-hmm. Um, so tell me about Beltane. Um, so basically 
um, just off the topic of like paganism and Celtic sort of practices, I wrote and thinking about the last show, How Men Do, I looked into um, this uh, festival called the Beltane uh, Festival. And it's um, the first of May, it's sort of like a May Day festival. And it's all kind of centralized around one big fire. And obviously, like, think like the, the show that we did, we sacrificed someone to a tree. And I thought, God, I don't actually know of any festivals in Scotland outside of like The Wicker Man, which is a film, of like there being anything that was tied to human sacrifice. And Beltane Festival, I've got all these little notes here, um, was somewhere where people used to actually get sacrificed. And after one, I mean, it's such a dark one though. I don't know if I want to go there about what's going on now. No. I don't know, there's something, there's something about that which it's, I don't know, just thinking about this idea of going back to nature and going back to thinking about it and being mindful about it and think about this idea of like, you know, Gaia and listening to her because, you know, she has whispered something. It's about having to listen to her. And I wonder if this whole thing is going to make us all a bit sort of, um, I don't know, I, I wonder if it's going to make us more sort of like mindful and aware about how we're all sort of equal. I don't know. That, I think that there's something in these ideas of, I mean, I'm sitting here next to bloody crystals. There's something about these like apotropaic items, which are, which make you think about things and connect to, they make you connect into things. I don't know. And I think there's something about, you know, this idea of like paganism and Celtic and as Celtic sort of practices, which make you sort of think about connecting back to nature or connecting to people or something. I don't know why I think that's something about that, which I really like. Uh, well, you, when you when you're confronted by the fact that we we are diligently eradicating life forms that have been on the face of the planet for 450 million years, mm. you know, it's, it, it, there is there is the, the, there needs to be a perspective on things like that. So, um, obviously, if if we all get if we get reminded that we are part of a continuum, we we don't stand outside nature. We are part of nature. Then, obviously, that's a that's a very valuable, um, very valuable uh, thing to take away from this this terrible time. Mm -hmm. um, thank you, Charles. It thank was wonderful you. talking to you. Lovely and to talk to you uh, thank you, everyone, for watching. And I hope we see each other again really soon. Oh yeah, me too. If you've enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. Give us a rating. And you might be interested in joining the Business of Fashion's global membership community, BOF Professional. Our members receive exclusive deep dive analysis, regular email briefings, as well as unlimited access to our archive of over 10,000 articles, our new iPhone app, biannual special print editions, and all of the online courses and learning materials from BOF Education. Have you ever owned something that inspired you to up your game? For me, I got a chef-grade range recently, and now I'm cooking new things every single night. Seriously, no cuisine is off limits. The point is, when we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. It's advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. I can picture myself with a car full of groceries, cruising down the highway, soaking up the sun with the available dynamic sky panorama glass roof. Ah, pure bliss. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer.